Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. But, um, so I wanted to quickly uh, just introduce myself a little bit to you guys, um, just to kind of let you know where I'm coming from and why this story means so much to me. And so um, I was born in Washington State. So anybody here from Washington State? No? Oh, one? One is. Yeah, because I'm related to him. <laughs> but, um, uh, but just kind of like how I'm almost the only one from Washington State, um, that's kind of played into this kind of almost this lie that I've kind of believed ever since I was younger that I'm kind of uh, an outcast almost, right? That, and sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel like life makes us an outcast. And um, so I was like born with asthma and ADHD and tics. Not the bug. I don't need to be checked. Uh, tic, it's like the repetition of a motion or a sound. You, you kind of can't help it. You just like have to do it. Um, and so that gave me like a learning disability because I was slower to learn in class. And so it was difficult for me to pay attention. I was causing trouble or causing trouble for other kids. And so that eventually got me to be held back. So further separating me from the kids I was going to class with. So I couldn't, you know, I didn't feel like I could stick with a friend group and feel like I could have like friends and stuff. So further separating me, further solidifying that belief that maybe I'm an outcast and maybe I don't fit in. And but then we moved here to Woodward in sixth grade and I started going to church and figured out apparently I have a sin problem and who knew? And Jesus, uh, Jesus solves that problem for us because of what he did for us, not because of anything we've done. And so uh, I kind of played into that. And, and so I'm still struggling with sin and still trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like? How do I be a good Christian? But I still, how do I find satisfaction in God, but I still find satisfaction in my sin? What does that mean? Why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep feeling that way? And so then I go through high school struggling with my cycle of sin and shame and trying to hide and, li hide and lie from it and wondering, why do all the Christians have it figured out? Why am I the only Christian who doesn't, who doesn't seem to have this figured out? Why does, you know, Sunday looks great, but the rest of the week looks terrible for me? Why does it look that way? And so I, I graduated. And just when, you know, I, I'm starting to get this Christian thing figured out, just when I think maybe my prayers are being answered, uh, my mom takes her life. And so then I am like, okay, what, what's all this mean? You know, how do I, not only am I struggling with this sin that has me in this destructive cycle, but I, I can't even, you know what I mean? Now I have this grief that, who, who experiences that at, at that age, right? So not only do I have this grief separating me, I have this, I also have my sin separating me from everybody. How do, I, how do I deal with all these things? What do I do? And so I think that maybe going to college will solve my problems. Maybe if I continue to do good work, maybe, uh, so I try to go to college and I have to drop out and that doesn't work out. And then finally something good happens. I meet Cassidy, who's the love of my life. You know, I got a way to rep you. Um, and so uh, because I liked her, I followed her to where she was moving to. And uh, we worked at a job together. And what not a better way to test if you guys can do life together than working the same job together. Because not only was she able to handle me in real life, but she handled me at a job too. So I knew that Cassidy was the one for me. 
Um, but at this job, I was given an opportunity uh, for a career path, a salary and benefits. And it made me think back to when I had that experience with Jesus where I said I believed in him. And I had this draw towards maybe doing ministry. You know, maybe it means something to love others like Jesus says to. Maybe it means something to even give your career to that, to give my life to that. And so I felt drawn to maybe go back to that because I was at this crossroads, had a big life decision of, do I want, this will stick me here. If I, if I choose this job, I'll be here for who knows however long. And so I decided to trust, not knowing the outcome, but just trust God that maybe ministry is what he wants me to do. Maybe he does want me to use my life to just love others and, and do that. So I chose to do that. And that's what eventually got me around here to ascent, which is where I really began to learn who God is and who he says I am and, and how, much, how I am supposed to live from those, from what he says. And so that's how I got to know you guys and be welcome to his family and also feel welcome to God. And so as you have heard, my story is complicated and I'm, I know your story is complicated too. Because I'm, I'm only 22 and, and I've, you know, my story is complicated, but I know yours is too. And so with our series being called It's Complicated and learning on how to have a relationship with God, we have to see God as a loving father. Because I have all the right to not see God that way. I have all the right to run away from him. And I have all, because of what I've gone through and what I've struggled with, I have all the right to say, I don't need you. I don't want that. Because if you made this, if you made my life, why has it gone this way? Right? So we have, we have a right to ask that question, but God's a loving father. And so we have to change our perspective. And so Jesus has to do that for us because I can't change the way I see God after what I've gone through. I have to have someone else, someone who actually loves me and knows me. And that's who God is. God knows us and loves us. And so in order to see God's loving father, Jesus has to come in and tear apart what we think we know about God and what we think we know about how to have a relationship with him. And so in the first verses uh, of Luke 15, I'm going to quickly just go over and summarize to set the stage for who Jesus is talking to. Because he's talking to me. He's talking to us. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Okay, so the tax collectors and sinners, I want to talk about these two groups of people. Tax collectors, these people were hated absolutely hated and not hated because they were tax collectors because you think that they took a little bit more money than they were supposed to no tax collectors tax collectors were hated because of what they were supporting you see tax collectors were supporting the oppressive roman government that was over their people so to let you to put you in their shoes what that's like is is if another superpower takes us over right oppressing our people they're brutal merciless taking our rights, whatever it is. And then your neighbor starts collecting money from you to support them to continue to oppress you. You'd hate that person, right? That person, you would reject that person. They would be an outcast rejected by you. That makes sense because what they're doing is what we would see as evil, right? So that's who the tax collectors were. They were seen that way. And then sinners were also seen that way. They were also separated and rejected because of either the sins they were committing, whether it was sexual, it was partying, it was lying to their neighbor. You know, the Ten Commandments, they were breaking those all the time. That's, that was their job. That's what they did. That's how people saw them. They saw them as sinners. But not only that, as you can really relate to this, is because the sinners were also put in just a category, like a class of people, just because 
of maybe they were born maybe they were born with a deformity or maybe they were born with a disease nothing they could help but even just because life happened to them they were categorized as a sinner and i think i felt that way i related to that and i'm sure you do too sometimes we feel separated and outcasted but then you have the pharisees and the scribes who were complaining about jesus welcoming Sinners and eating with them, welcoming tax collectors and eating with them. Obviously, if Jesus is a man of God, if he's holy, right, then why would he welcome the unholy, the filthy, the hated? Why would he welcome them? So see, the Pharisees and scribes, these were the top-notch Christians of the day. They knew the Bible better than me and you. They prayed more than me and you. They had to know the, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. Who here has memorized the first five books? Yeah, I didn't think so. Because <laughs> once you get past Genesis and you start getting to New- Deuteronomy, I think that's how you say it, I don't even know. And Numbers, it starts to get kind of boring and confusing. But they knew that by heart. They, they barely took, they didn't work on Sabbath. They were very serious about following the law to honor God. That's what they thought. That's what they believed. Essentially, they believed they were righteous. They believed they were in front of everybody else. And sometimes that's also how I felt. I felt like when I started getting a hold of my sin, when maybe all my sin makes me feel gross and all this bad stuff is happening, maybe if I start to do enough good, I can get in front of my sin and I can cover it up, right? If I, sh- if I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I share the gospel enough, maybe that'll cover up all the bad I've done. Maybe I've earned my righteousness. And when you think you've earned it, that's what then makes you judge those who are below you, right? Because then it's yours. You've become your God. And that's what the Pharisees and scribes were. And Jesus quickly goes over that, and they see him that way. They see Jesus that way and they see God that way because they believe God's a harsh boss. They don't believe he's a loving father. They believe he's a harsh boss. That's not who God is. God's a loving father. Because you see in the next little two stories that Jesus celebrates the lost who are found. Not Not the 99 righteous who stayed. He celebrates the lost who's found. That's, that's a loving father, right? That's, a love, that's someone who loves. That's beautiful. You don't have to look at God as someone who doesn't love you. He does love you. Because he doesn't celebrate all the ones who do the good. He celebrates the one who turns from doing the bad. But there's, this continues on with the parable of the lost son. Because in verse 11, you see a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Okay, so whoa. I don't know if you guys completely understand what that means, but for him, he's asking his father for his inheritance, right? I'm sure you've heard this before. He's basically saying, I want the money I'd get for when you die while you're still alive. If, you're, if your child did that to you, you, you would not deal with that. You'd smack your kid. There's no way. Rejected fired it doesn't matter a harsh boss there's would do that you, there's no way you're my kid get, get away from me right but that's not a loving father is it and i think that's what blows our minds is because we would think that would be loving no you need to learn your lesson that's not how life works okay but that's not what the father does what does the father do so he distributed the assets to them so this is already completely blowing the minds of the pharisees and scribes because they're thinking okay the son's gonna get it right the son's gonna get punished for that God would punish the sinner for that. But he doesn't. He just gives it to him. 
He says, okay, God says, okay, if you believe that you'll find purpose and peace and fulfillment without me, I'll let you see that. I'll let you try that. I'll let you believe you can do that. That's what I do. That's what we do. I run to my sin to make me feel better. Maybe for the grief or maybe just because I don't live up or I don't think I'm worthy enough, I I run to it to to try to satisfy me, try to give me peace and fulfillment and purpose. And so we try that. That's what I was trying when I was moving. And so then, so that's who a loving father is. And so the next question, or I'm sorry, I forgot to introduce the frame of this is that we're asking for a question is who, who God is. And so that was who God is. God's a loving father. He's not a harsh boss, right? We saw that. The next question is what has God done? And then we're going to ask who are we? And then how do we live? Okay, so now we're on uh, what has God done? So what has God done? And so then through verses 13 through 23, I'll read these. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat from the fill of from the, the fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So the son thinks, okay, I've sinned. I've tried to find pleasure and satisfaction in it, but it doesn't, it didn't work. So I got to try to earn it back. Right. He says he wants to be a hired worker. That means, that literally means he's planning. Who, who knows however much money the father had? It was probably a lot of money. He thinks if he can become a hired worker, he can get paid to give it back to the father. Does that make sense? He thinks he can literally earn every cent of it back. That's what he's going to attempt to do. So he makes that plan to say he's not worthy. The only thing I'm worthy of being is not even a servant, not even a house slave, just a hired worker. Just let me try to pay you back. Just let me try to clean my debt up. See, he thinks God is a harsh boss. He thinks the father has done nothing for him because he doesn't even think the father will forgive him. He thinks this will work. He doesn't think he's going to get forgiveness. He thinks he's going to get a harsh boss. Harsh boss will say, no, you were fired. You were rejected for what you did. That's what he's expecting. He's expecting to not be forgiven. But what do we see as we continue on? But the father told his servants, quick, or I skipped ahead. <laughs> this. So when he got up and went to his father, while the son was a long way off, in verse 20, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, his plan, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Bring Uh, or put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Okay, that's not what the son was expecting. And I know that's not what I expect when I go to God. And I bet that's not what you expect when you go to God either. When we go to God, or even when we go to someone who we think is better than us, or someone who we know we've wronged, we expect a harsh judgment or a harsh punishment or a rejection for what they've done, right? That's what you expect. It's natural. But that's not what the father does. The father doesn't even let the son get to him. 
The father runs towards him. You see, we believe that God has done nothing, but actually God did everything. (laughs) He did everything for us. Because look, he threw a robe on him. He ran to him, gave him a ring. When you give someone a ring back then, that means you're part of the family. That was the family ring. Today we have last names, but then you had rings. He gave the father his ring. And he put sandals on his feet. He just completely covered the son. Just completely covered him with love. That's what the father does. We don't have to believe we have to try to earn it. When I sin, when I try to hide my shame and lie about it and and try to run away from God, and then I try to fix it on my own, I think, okay, you know, I've done all this, but uh, maybe if I go read my Bible and I go pray and I go to church finally, and I just maybe share the gospel with someone or I give someone good advice, I think all that's going to cover it up. All that's going to make me look better in front of people and make me look better in front of God. That's not what God wants. That weight isn't yours to carry. It's the Father's. The father carries all that. He does everything for the son. That's love. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to have the pressure of fixing everything in your life. That's not your job. That's good news because God's done it. God has loved us so much that he does everything for us. So the next question is, who does that make us? Because the son saw himself as a slave. So in verse 24, because the son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. A slave would say, like I've been saying, you have to work your way back. And maybe now that God saved you, maybe now that you're a Christian, you still think, okay, I got to cover everything up, right? I still have to work hard to be good. I still have to do all these things. Yes, God loves me and all this stuff, but it doesn't feel that way. So I feel like I need to earn it. I still feel like I need to earn love because bad stuff still happened to me and I still do bad things. But God just made him his son, doesn't he? The son didn't have to do anything. That's what he does to you. He just makes you his son. He just makes you his daughter. The only requirement, the only requirement The only thing, it's not good works. It's not to fix whatever was broken. It's just to come to your senses. And it's not to be degrading. It's not to say you're dumb. It's just for you to realize, oh, I don't have to do anything. Oh, I don't have to fix it. God did it for me. He makes me his child. He makes you a child, not a slave. Who you are is a child. What do children do? They mess up. When... My dad would see me scrape my knee. He wouldn't go, you idiot. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you did that. You don't know how to ride a bike? You, you kidding me? No, 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 no. He'd pick me up, right? Or put me back on the bike. He'd let you try again. And you couldn't do that without the father. Because I could have said, nah, I, I got this dad. I've never ridden a bike before, but I'll figure it out. I can do it. No, I'd crash into the street or something. Love is the realizing that you need the father, that you realize that, oh, I'm a child. It's okay that I don't have everything figured out. It's okay that I don't have everything fixed. It's okay that I can't help everybody because God has done everything for you. But so what does that mean? So how do you live? Do you live as though God's going to take care of everything? Now I can just sit back and relax? No, that's, that's not the point. And so we see that 
uh, revealed that how do we live is, is life an obligation? Like, are we slaves and God's a hard, bo- harsh boss and he's done nothing for us, so I'm obligated to be good, I'm obligated to do all these good things, or is it an opportunity? And so we see that with verse 25 through 32. You see, now the older son was in the field and he came near the house. He heard the music and dancing, so he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. The servant said, your brother is here and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. In verse 28, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So you have a traditional view of sin, right? The younger son. He goes and squanders it on prostitutes, sexual sin. He's always drinking. He's wasting all his money, stealing from his neighbor, cursing God's name, cursing everybody's name. He, he's, you know, living the life. He's, he's traditional view of sin, right? He's separated from God. That's, that's how he feels, rejected, hated, right? But the one who's been doing it right is angry. The one who's had it all figured out is angry, about the lost son being found. When he's been, I mean, he's been found the whole time. He's been with the father the whole time, right? That's what we see. He says, but he, uh, he says, I'm sorry, I lost my place. So he became angry, verse 28. Didn't want to go in. The father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to the father, because the father's pleading with him. He's saying, just come in. This is an opportunity. It's not an obligation for you. It's an opportunity for you to come in and celebrate what's happened. The lost has been found. The sinner has been saved. It's an opportunity for you to celebrate this. The son doesn't see it that way. Because he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving, right? He thinks he's a slave. I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. He's always been found. He's always done the right things. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. You see, the older son saw it as an obligation. He thought he had to work. See, he never wanted the father. He only wanted the father's stuff, just like the younger son. The younger son asked for his inheritance. The older son was trying to work for the inheritance. That's all he saw. He saw his father as a harsh boss who did nothing for him. And he was obligated to do all of it, making him a slave, making him a slave to his sin, making him a slave to what felt like God. He doesn't think God loves him. He doesn't think his father loves him. That's not what he wants. He just wants the father's stuff. Molly and Zach, you can go ahead and come up if you want to. Um, and so... The father then replies, son, he said to him. But I don't think we fully understand that because it's a simple little part of the verse that just says, son, he said to him. And I think it separates that for a reason. It separates that for a reason because just before that, he said, but this son of yours. You see, traditional view of sin, he sinned, he separated from the father, right? But the older son who's done all the good work is still the one who's claimed to be righteous is still somehow separated from the Father. How is someone who's a sinner and someone who's righteous, how are they both separated from the Father? Shouldn't the righteous be with the Father? But that's not what happens. Because like I've said, he thinks it's an obligation. He still separated himself from God, but he calls him son. He still thinks he's his son. Despite him thinking 
despite him thinking he separated himself. He said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. Everything that you work for, whatever, you're tr- whatever it is you're trying to earn, love, righteousness, good favor from other people, money, satisfaction, whatever it is you're trying to earn, God already has it for you. He are, it's what he says. It's literally what he says. Everything the son felt obligated to work for, everything he was trying to be righteous about, he says, everything I have is yours. You're already with me. So stop. Stop trying. But it's not that easy, is it? It's not easy to just stop trying. That's, that's where trust comes in. That's where trust comes in. And then he says, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this father of yours was dead. Or this father, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it just ends, just ends that way. It doesn't have a conclusion because doesn't the older brother have something to do? With all this being said, shouldn't the older brother be like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, I should go inside and celebrate because you already love me. Or should he still be angry? See, the story doesn't end because just like how these brothers were made in the image of God, so are you. And God sees you this way. The story doesn't end because the story is not over. Because you are a part of that story. I'm a part of that story. Jesus lets us finish the story. Because now we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to live our lives as if everything is to celebrate what God's done, right? That verse, do everything for the glory of God. Never understood what that verse meant until this. I'm just supposed to celebrate what God's done. And here's where it really clicks. Is even your, even when you sin, whether it's gross and filthy or whether your sin is somehow righteousness, it's trying to earn it. Even your sin is an opportunity to celebrate what God has done to you, done for you through Jesus. See, Jesus is the fattened calf. Fattened calf, meat back then was a delicacy. And the fattened calf was like the diamonds of meats back then. And Jesus is the fattened calf. See, the father gives the son the fattened calf. And it's not just the younger sons, it's the older sons too. It's everyone's fattened calf. The whole neighborhood, the whole village comes in to enjoy and celebrate what God has done. This is how we're supposed to live, friends. I'm gonna pray for us really quick. Father, I come to you in prayer and uh, I want to thank you for um, allowing me to share this message. Um, and I pray that we know that you're a loving father. You're not a harsh boss. You're not someone we have to be a slave to or feel obligated to. But we can know that you did everything for us through your son, Jesus. That his life and death and resurrection gives us his righteousness. And gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us power over our sin. Now with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, let's take about 20 seconds to think about what the Holy Spirit has said to you through this message. God, please give us the courage to follow whatever it is you're asking us to do and to know that we don't have to do it alone, but we can do it together as a family. Amen. Let's stand and worship, friends.
Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.